how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. I had the realization that none of my dreams were going to come true. This, yeah. I'm out of this. What the hell do I do now? This is Andrew Ray. YouTube sensation Andrew Ray. One of the most popular cooking shows in all of YouTube. Andrew Ray, a.k.a. Binging with Babish, built a media empire off of the back of his TV and movie-inspired cooking tutorials that get millions of views. This week, I'm going to be recreating ratatouille, biscuits, cannoli. We're making arepas con queso from Encanto. Today, Binging with Babish has a larger following than most traditional food networks and celebrity chefs. He's growing his business with the help of his longtime business partner and friend, Sawyer, who was sitting in the room with us when we were recording. Together, they're scaling his brand, adding new hosts to the channel, launching best-selling books, and his very own line of cookware. We interviewed Andrew right after he spoke to a group of creators at the Samsung Galaxy Creator Collective in New York City. We spoke to him about how he started the channel, the struggles that he faces as a creator, and what it takes to build a modern media company. Your name is not actually Babish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you first started uploading content or when you first created the channel, did you want a certain level of anonymity? <laughs> I, I didn't want anonymity per se. Too many cooking shows I thought weren't enough about the food. So I wanted to make a, a show where the focus was first and foremost on the food. Is why I wore a black apron, very shallow depth of field. The only things in focus are the food and relatively visible. Anything that I'm bringing to the table as a personality is incidental. That's That was the original hope. When you realize, all right, there's a problem with cooking shows, why did you say to yourself, all right, maybe I should solve it? <laughs> well, you want me to, to, to be real with you too? Let's yeah. get real. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I started making this show because I was wildly depressed. Uh, I was um, in, I had some relationship problems, I had career problems, and uh, I had just been in a creative endeavor that had completely demolished me. It was a year and a half long. It, it face-planted a documentary that I was working on. It was one of the most discouraging experiences of my life professionally or personally. And it made me think like, wow, I don't think I have anything to say. I don't think I am ever going to make it as a creator of any kind. And at the time, you know, content creator wasn't a job description yet. If you wrote that on like an application, you'd be laughed out of the bank. But at the time, you know, I didn't necessarily want to become a YouTuber. I just wanted to make something again feel the way that I felt in film school back in college when I couldn't wait, when I would rip the memory card out of the, out of the camera and run over to the computer and start editing before I was even finished shooting. Like that, that's, that's the way I used to work when I was excited. And uh, so it was in an effort to kind of try to find that again. So I had bought a camera and a light. I'd gone to therapy first. That's, you know, anybody dealing with mental health issues, please get the help that you need. Uh, because that's what I did, and it opened up the bandwidth for me to experiment again, play again, have some fun. And I uh, uh, bought a camera and a light. I intended to sort of shore up my documentary production acumen, because I had been doing some of that at the time. I thought maybe I can get into that. 
And then I was screwing around in the kitchen one day. I wasn't trying to solve any problem. I wasn't trying to, you know, come up with something new. I just was watching Parks and Rec in the background like it was music. That's what I do. And then there was that episode on with the burger cook-off. And I was like, what if I tried that? And I was, you know, screwing around in the kitchen anyway. And I shot it. I put it up. Never intended to make another one. And now here we are six years later talking about it. That's the YouTube American dream. <laughs> the YouTube worldwide dream. That's really interesting. And first of all, thanks for sharing that. Of course. I think that's... Uh, um, really important to to share and, and tell stories um, around how people did find their their creativity, especially a story like that. You're mentioning that making you know the doc in the year prior was something that really kind of weighed on you and your, and your mental health. Um, what was the difference in making a piece of content and uploading it to YouTube uh, with that Parks and Rec? Off. What was the difference between? Or did it feel different? Like was there oh, yeah. like no. a different relationship with that experience? Yeah. I was really disillusioned about becoming, at the time it was called a director, uh, but now it's called a content creator. I had a major crisis of faith in myself that I would ever amount to anything in this industry. I was going to work an office job. I was going to, you know, I was not, none of my, I had, I had the realization that none of my dreams were going to come true. You know, like th that, you know, bottom of the barrel moment when you realize that maybe the life that you pictured for, for yourself is a fantasy. And I hit that moment. I was in bed for like two weeks feigning food poisoning because I just couldn't get up and face the day. And eventually I was like, oh, God, I need help. So I went and got it. Mm -hmm. And that's what opened up the bandwidth. And the difference was in how I felt about it. I was excited about it. I was passionate about it. I love food. I love movies. I love making content. And I was doing all three. <laughs> it, was, it was like magic. I was, I was 20, how old was I? Was I? I was 28, 29 when, when I started, I guess. It took me that long to figure out, to put together the things that I enjoyed so much in the world. Pop culture references, uh, mm -hmm. movies, TV, and food, and also making movies. All the things that I love the most in the world it took me a long time to figure it out. So don't beat up on yourself if it, if it takes you a while to figure it out, folks. It's sometimes it's a lifelong process. It's taken us 10 years to get to this show. Exactly. So yeah. there you yeah, go. It's, it's you a guys long know. process. Was there, it sounds like uh, an experience of internal validation was happening post that YouTube video, mm -hmm. but did that stem from external validation that was coming? Like, what was the reaction to that video? So I, I cannot remember how many views it got, but because of a trailer, of a trailer mashup that is still live on the channel, Army of Darkness uh, mashed up with the 300 trailer audio. That was the hot thing to do. Yeah. When I, when <laughs> yeah. It must have been 2008 when I did that. Yeah. Uh, so that was like the hot thing to do on YouTube was make trailer mashups. Uh, and so I uploaded that. It got like 100,000 views, which was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially back then, 2008, I felt like a celebrity. It was unbelievable. And then, you know, so a few thousand people subscribed to me and a trickle continued over the next, like you said, 10 years. Uh, and uh, then all of a sudden out of the woodwork, I was like, hey, here's a new show, video, everything. I'm <laughs> yeah, a completely yeah. different person now. This is... And I wasn't doing it with the intention of launching a channel. I got, I think I got like 20,000 views on the first episode, which is nothing that's to sneeze a, that's at. That's amazing. Yeah. But it, I did it by virtue of these ghost subscribers that I had from years ago who yeah. hadn't thought about me, I'm sure, in the five, since five minutes after they sure. would have finished watching my video, which was 10 years ago. So I'm sure it was a surprise for them to see me show up on their subscription feed. So I had a leg up that way. Yeah. This is these built-in subscribers I had. Um, and uh, so I got like 20,000 views. That was encouraging. The feedback was very positive. That was encouraging. 
But it, it, it didn't have to get that many views, I hope. I don't know because I wasn't there and I didn't experience it. But I would hope that if it got fewer views and I still felt positively about it, that I would either continue doing it or at least see the value of having done it as an experiment, as an exercise. Right. And so from that video, you started creating more from there. Like, what was the cadence to that? And, and I guess, what did the next year look like? Oh, I think it was like one a month after that. I'd have to look at the room. It was, it was whenever I could get them done because I was working a full-time job and I was putting 20 to 40 hours a week on top of that 60-hour-a-week job to make this show. What was that job? Uh, visual effects um, for commercials, mostly. Uh, I was I started as an assistant and worked my way up to a senior Flame artist. Flame is a software made by Autodesk that very few people have heard of. Maybe I thought you guys you were have heard of it. Doing like graphic flames, like no, 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 no exactly, yeah. exactly. And before that, you I need was fire. A, I'm your guy. Yeah. <laughs> before that, it was a smoke Best fire artist. guy in the business. Yeah. <laughs> There's another piece of software called yeah. Smoke in the same architecture. Very confusing. So I would, say, yeah, I would say I'm a smoke artist. And when people would ask what that is, I'd say, well, I take two marble lights and I just wave them around. Yeah. And I'm a smoke yeah. artist. But uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, so I was, I was in the industry. I wasn't, you know working a soul-crushing job. I was still enjoying myself. I loved the people I work with. I'm hanging out with them next weekend. I'm still yeah, very close with them. Uh, but my soul was crushed from another yes. factor. It was this other project that had just basically stripped me of any notion that maybe I could make it in this industry. As you started uploading YouTube content, you have this day job, did the fantasy or the dream, the renewed dream kind of become, hmm, I want to do YouTube full-time? Or did that just happen naturally? It just happened naturally because, in fact, because again, I, I, I went to film school in 2005, 2009. I shot my senior thesis project on 16 millimeter. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I am from the old school, unfortunately. So my initial feeling again, about becoming a YouTuber was to rail against it because I thought it was, you know, the simplification or whatever of what ever art I thought I was a practitioner sure. of. Mm-hmm. Cool. But really, <laughs> I, I uh, you know, as, as I realized, like, wow, I have complete creative autonomy. I have complete professional, professional autonomy. And I can make money doing this? I'd be crazy not to, even if I could use it as a springboard and something else. Maybe if I get 100,000 subscribers, maybe I can get a development deal or something, get a t- TV show going, get, use it as a foray into my desired path. And then before I knew it, it was my desired path. It was like, why would I want to do anything else in the world? I get to reach people. I get to teach people. I get to, nothing else rhymes with reach or mm. teach. Yeah. I don't reach off people. Preach. I don't preach. preach I hope. Um, Stacy Keach is sure, a great yeah. actor. Stacy yeah. Keach was the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's the first time that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so mean. He's such a good actor, anyway. Um, so, with with that creative autonomy, when you look back at the first episode about Parks and Rec and the episodes that came after it in that first year, what did you put into those videos from a creative standpoint that represent sort of the DNA? of your videos. The central, the lifeblood of the channel that has been there since the beginning, even without our knowledge, is the embracing of mistakes and the importance of mistakes for entertainment value, for comedic timing, for you know the basic things, but also unintentionally, again, I thought it was just funny for me to you know try peeling garlic with the hack where you shake it in the tin. That was the first mistake that I showed, it was the mm-hmm. third episode. I took off the lid 
and the garlic wasn't peeled. I was like, okay, I'm gonna have whiskey about it. And it, 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 people liked that because I think now in retrospect, it made me less, it didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't putting myself on a pedestal as a creator. I wasn't saying, I'm, I know more than you, so I'm gonna show you. You know, I was, which is the case when you're a creator, you wanna share your knowledge or your passion or your ideas. But, you know, we, we were doing it in a way that shows like, you know, we screw up too. I screw up too. Yeah. I, I, I burn things all the time. I drop things. I spill things. That's what cooking is. It's not the polished, perfect thing that you see on TV. It's messy. It's, it's discouraging. It's almost a metaphor outside of cooking because it just feels like, actually, life is just like that. It's just sometimes messy and it doesn't always happen the way you want. Mm -hmm. But showing that, and I think showing the mistakes, is, is such a um, refreshing take on Thank you. just storytelling. And I think that's something that YouTube brought. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in the beginning especially, was, hey, let's just show what life looks like and let's see, we had this craving for reality television on one side and that brought us this craving to say, let's just learn more about people and then that's what YouTube brought, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, that to me builds like a depth of connection with you. The voiceover, the, the mistakes that are left in, the kind of, you know, humor that you bring, it builds a depth of connection with you. I love that you use the word depth. Yeah. Because the, the, the fact that, that literally implies that I'm no longer a two-dimensional thing on yes. a screen. I'm something that you feel like you're part of. And so, yeah, a lot of people think that we sometimes stage the mistakes, which I can truthfully say I don't think we've ever done. All of the mistakes I can think of on the channel are genuine. And it's because I never practice the dish mm. first, ever. Never have once ever tried making it first. I've tried it to make it for myself or whatever, if, or incidentally, but I've never rehearsed a dish before making it on the show. Because if I do screw up, it's likely a mistake that a beginner is going to make because I am also a right. beginner in this situation. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And some people say that, oh, I'm sick of him screwing around, making these, staging these mistakes. And I'm like, I'm not. I'm truly not. Like right. that tiramisu falling out uh, from the tiramisu episode, anybody who's seen it, they think that I did that to, you know, sort of move, segue into the commercial thing that we were doing for the Philips Latte Go, one of the things I'm most proud of in my life. Uh, Swear and I locked our, ourselves with cameraman Tim in my house for a week and that came out and I'm so happy with it. But anyway, uh, I, they, they were like, oh, you just did that to, put, you, to make a segue in the commercial. But the truth is I genuinely didn't lock the bottom of my spring form in place correctly. And when I came to edit it, I was like, well, this is perfect. This is a perfect way to get into the commercial. It was, it was that, that spark of, of filmmaking, the thing that I was missing. Sometimes things, you guys are, you guys are, are filmmakers. Sometimes things just work, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. music cues. Sometimes yeah. when you're playing it back, you didn't even arrange it that way. But the music hits right at the right mm -hmm. spot. That's the magic yeah, yeah, of filmmaking. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Yeah. I think when it comes to education, too, leaving the mistakes in is even more important there's a level right of like humanizing yourself and building depth but then also like if i'm trying to learn from you i actually want to wait to see if you make a mistake because that helps inform me where i might make a mistake mm -hmm. i have a really hard time following food recipes where it's perfect the whole time because i feel like i'm actually failing yeah the entire time that i'm following <laughs> along and i think we try and implement the same yeah. thing when we're educating about creators is to make sure that we include Every single mistake, because that's actually where all the learning is happening. Right. I mean, content creation is messy, yeah. fellas. You know that. Like, whether you're dude perfect at, at the very <laughs> high end mm -hmm. of the spectrum, or whether you're just starting out, 
it's a garage band effort. Like e even though Dude, Dude Perfect is so huge and they have, you know, their, their gigantic complex out there and, and every video gets 50 million views, there's still, you can still feel the genuineness of what they're doing because they're still in the garage yeah. band even though they made the garage Huge. I haven't watched mm -hmm. them in a while, so, so I don't know how it's It's funny going. you bring them up specifically because yeah. we used to produce with them. Oh, really? So we've actually held cameras and shot a Dude Perfect video. And well, that's my guys, perception. But yeah, they yeah, were yeah, primarily yeah. holding but the cameras, they were, which was unbelievable. It was like three was years exactly. ago. Yeah, they were holding the camera. Like, they were making the content. We were throwing ideas out. It was that garage band. They've got the glide cam. Their yeah. backs are hurting from holding <laughs> yeah. it. And you're like, this is amazing. Oh, who was that? Super I mean, cool. Like, how different, too, from a traditional film set. So in that first year, from 2016 to 2017, when did you realize that you could make money on YouTube? When did you realize like that was a reality? It's thanks to this guy. I'm gonna keep pointing yeah. at him. Yeah. Uh, I hope we're getting a shot of him. There he is. Yeah, <laughs> there, there he is. Sawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Thank we you. need we Amazing. need him on camera. <laughs> so Sawyer is the one who initially convinced me that, you know, not only was this something we could make money doing, but also he saw it as bigger than it was immediately. He saw it as be, as be, it becoming bigger than it was way before I did, or anybody else did. Everybody thought it was cool or interesting or a fun hobby. And once I started making money at it, they were like, wow, you make money doing that? And this guy the whole time was like, you know, this, this, is, this ticks so many boxes for what I, him, consider a legacy, brand, impactful, important brand that we could potentially build out of this. Uh, so anyway, this was probably didn't actually realize any money from YouTube for about a year. I think it was just about a year. And that was from AdSense or from a brand partnership? First it was AdSense. We turned on AdSense because I put out an episode with no Veratitat on it. That was the first one to make some money. Yeah. And uh, then the first integration we did was with Squarespace, who we're still partnering with to this day. It must wow. have been five years later now. You also had a Patreon. Mm -hmm. And your audience was supporting the content uh, pretty significantly at that time. Can you talk through just that decision to start a Patreon and, and what that experience was like? Yeah, I, uh, you know, again, was trying to make this my full-time job. And I thought if I hit a certain dollar amount on Patreon, that's reliable money that's coming in the door. Those are people that are, that are supporting me. And if I have that as a baseline, I can pay my rent and I can eat. And that's about it. <laughs> and uh, so once I hit that point, really, it was Patreon that freed me from a day job like because that was the reliable money that was the the I mean it, you know I could lose it anytime just but that's just like any money right um but that was the paycheck so to speak the regular money you know that's what is so scary about leaving a full-time job with benefits and hours and going out, yeah. out on your mm -hmm. own especially when you're like me extremely unorganized my first I remember my first day after I quit my job I was, I was beside myself. I was in my underwear until noon, <laughs> mostly because I felt like I could, yeah. but I felt like, what the hell do I do now? Yeah, I went to the beach when I quit yeah. my job, yeah. and I was like, what am I doing here? Yeah. Yeah. This is the least enjoyable trip to the beach I've ever taken. <laughs> That's the most like really overwhelming, frightening, yeah. overwhelming, yeah. bewildering part of your career as a creator is the day you decide to become a creator full-time. Yes. And I had the comfort the relative comfort of Patreon supporters to be like, okay, I have X amount of dollars coming in right. every month. I think we've learned how to make a, a entertainment vehicle that also works some, some 
symbiotically. Symbiotically, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I can feel uh, it on the tip I of was your picturing tongue. the bird on the back of the rhino. Sure. That's how I remember okay. the word symbiotic. Yeah, because okay. <laughs> they, they have a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Okay, got it. Uh, it works symbiotically <laughs> between the brand, us, and the viewer. Yeah. Because we've we've figured out a way to make our content as profitable as we can, so we can unlock more ability as creators mm -hmm. and as a company. We're hiring now. We just hired our new our newest guy. Just started last week, like. I'm so excited about it. Like, hopefully, we're going to do an even larger expanse in, in the future. But anyway, that's it's such a wild experience for a, a creator. Like for us, especially last year, it was just Colin and myself, and and we're you know hiring and building a team and like walking into a studio or an office and seeing people working on this show. Mm -hmm. I actually think as creators, bringing a team and developing a process for what you're making takes some of the incredible. Um, challenges out of like performance of an episode when we have an episode last year that wouldn't perform well we would sit together and be like it's it's us we suck we're terrible right <laughs> and now as we start to develop and we're like okay that didn't do as well we sit as a team and talk about the process and what could be fixed mm -hmm. to make it better and that process is almost like a third party that we all work mm -hmm. on and it works the same way for the things that are good yeah. That happen. It's much more uh, exhilarating and, and feels a lot more valuable when we can share in the yeah. excitement of like some of this growth. Agreed. As you hire and as you bring people on board, two things get to happen. Both are essential for expansion and sustainability. Delegation yeah. and collaboration. You got other creatives, fresh eyes, to bring their unique perspective to what you're doing and how to make it new and different, better, evolve it. And you also have the ability to delegate because I'm 34 now. I had the energy to do this all myself when I was 27 when I started, uh, and now I've, I, I'm, I'm fresh out. I, I still have lots of energy. I'm still very excited to make the show. But as I know you guys want to talk about, we're expanding. We've expanded the the brand and the channel to more than just me because it's much bigger than me. It is a platform and. Not only is it my responsibility to share it, it's what I need to do to be able to keep making content because I can't keep putting out two videos a week. I'll die. <laughs> to sustain a career for as long as you've done it, you know, I think team has to be one of the most important things in hiring. If you do want to, to reach another strata or, or just, you know, it all comes back to the same feeling that you have when you quit your day job to become a creator. If you want to grow, you got to feel that feeling over and over again because you're yeah. constantly going to be asked if you want to pull a trigger or roll the dice and bet on you and what you're doing yeah. as worth pursuing. Yeah. How do you get over you know, the feeling that maybe you don't have anything worth Important saying? Say, yeah. But um, it's a terrifying feeling to bet on yourself and to believe that you have something worth sharing, something worth building on. Yeah. Other people entrusting in, in, in their careers with you. They're, they're not just their livelihood, not just their pay, their career. They're, they're going to be associated with you. That's going to be on their resume for the rest of their lives. What a responsibility. Yeah, yeah and you have to have like radical belief in yeah. what you're creating. I think one of the toughest things too when you're a creator like yourself and you're building team is feeling like you have something that's important to say. And then as you bring on team members, entrusting other people to help you say things. Well, I mean, that's the part where you have to really humble yourself because you do have to be like, what I have to say is worth saying. You have to stand your ground when you know that it's true, but you also have to really humble yourself to be like, I'm also not always right about what I should say yeah. or how I should say it. And that's what these people are here for is to distill 
mm-hmm. the message into something that is going to be the best for the channel and for the audience, for you. So you have to trust in them too. You have to trust in yourself and in them. So, so not only have you b- built out a team, um, but you've also kind of expanded from just yourself on the channel to the Babish culinary universe. Can you kind of talk about that a bit and, and some of the decision that went into expanding like that? I mean, that is no different from hiring out because, but, but it's bigger and more exciting because we, we, you know, we realized that this brand, this platform is bigger than me. Like there's some part of us that was like, okay, let's just use Andrew's the personality on this channel. That's, that's what we focus on. And then when that became not only untenable, but also untrue, when we had more and more people on the show as guests, whatever, and then we had, saw comments saying like, Alvin should have his own show. Sola should have her own show. Brad Leone should have his own show on, on, on VCU. We realized people like the way we do things, the way we tell stories, which is like we said, empathetically, honestly, hopefully, um, and, and uh, realistically. And with good humor and self-awareness and, and, and not, not take not, no, as little pretense as possible, not trying to take ourselves too seriously. And putting damn near anybody with talent in that environment, they're gonna shine. That's what we found with Kendall. She, she came to work with us with no intention of ending up on camera and look where she is now because she's talented, she's passionate, she's magnetic when she gets talk, to talking about it and we couldn't wait to put her on camera. The, the, the other purpose that that serves besides using this platform as more than just a, a device to further my ego <laughs> is also the ability for me to keep being a creator. At the height of the pandemic, when the lockdowns all started happening, I upped my cadence to two videos a week, which you've seen my videos, they're, mm-hmm. they're, there's a lot of production that goes yeah. into them. Even when it's just me, there's a lot of prep and every shot, you know, the depth of field is so shallow. Every shot mm-hmm. has to be refocused whenever I move anything. And there's so much work that goes into it and I didn't notice what had happened. I, I did that during the height of the pandemic when I had nothing else to do. Nobody had anything else to do but the things that they could do in their house. And then the world started spinning again and Zoom meetings started happening again, phone calls and real life meetings and and all that stuff. And with the return of responsibility and and just being a human being, I I kept the pace of two per week. And I only just realized, you know, towards the end of last year, you guys know sponsors towards the end of the year ramps mm-hmm. up and up right. and up and it gets crazy towards the end of the year. And I spun out, spun out real bad at the end of this past year, uh, just because I was, I didn't realize that it was overworked because when you're passionate about what you're doing, when you're so excited about it, you don't notice that you're working 70, 80, yeah. 90 hours mm-hmm. a week. You don't even, don't, you don't feel it until then, until you can't function otherwise, until you're running on fumes all the time. Yes. So you keep mm-hmm. petering And out. it becomes incredibly normal to run on mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think when you're that passionate about it, we've talked about this with other creators, your growth and like doing this thing that has become your dream job is only capped by your willingness to work. There's no one who's going to tell you stop. Yeah. And also the internet doesn't tell you stop. YouTube's like, yeah, keep going. You're, it, like, it's so you're doing something that's never yeah. been done before. Yeah. The, the, the need for a cadence of release, mm-hmm. like these guys talking about posting eight times a day. <laughs> How the fuck? Yeah. Like I know that they're TikToks yeah. and maybe they're a little yeah. easier to make because you're doing with your phone. And, and, but this, this still takes a lot of effort. It takes creative effort, it takes time, it takes mm-hmm. resources. 
it drains you. I don't know how they can do that. It's because they're in their 20s, I think. And I mean, I, w- I wish more power to them and I hope that they are taking care of themselves because there's, when, you're in, when you're in 20s, and I'm sure you guys might agree with me, you feel like you don't need to take care of yourself at all. I went right. four years once without going to the dentist. <laughs> like, yeah. and it was because of the show. Right. It was recent. <laughs> I, I yeah. went so long without going to the dentist because I felt healthy enough and I just thought like, you know, I've, nothing's ever been wrong with my teeth before. I've never had a cavity. And you might think that about any part of yourself, like like I've never been depressed before or mm. I've never been, uh, you know, had a, a nervous breakdown or a panic attack before. And so you think that it can't affect you. That kind of work schedule can't hurt you. It will eventually. It might not right, right now. So it's just something, like you guys said, to be aware of as you're building it. Yeah. And and that experience towards the end of the year is what further pushed you to bring on different talent and creators to the channel? I, th- I, I Yes. The answer is yes. That, that that experience definitely spurred a change in direction and priorities for our company. That we realized we're well-positioned to become a brand that permeates a whole bunch of different categories, hospitality, brick-and-mortar locations, mm-hmm. products, cookware. Mm-hmm. We have the cookware out now. That was a two-year-long process designing and getting that out. And that's why I'm here talking with you guys today, so you can see how exciting it is when these yeah. things connect. You know, We wouldn't be having this conversation if we hadn't decided to say, okay, you know what? We can make good cookware. This company, Gibson, can make good cookware. We're going to put this out. And just doing that with as much confidence as possible, knowing there were going to be bad reviews, knowing that some people wouldn't see what we were trying to do, and hoping that it worked for the best. And then now we're here talking about it. It's, it's hard to deny the insane spider web of things that happen when you allow them to happen. When you put yourself in that position. Mm-hmm. Which is a scary position uh, to be in. Definitely. Yeah. Also, the cookware was so interesting to us that we, we actually organically bought it ourselves, well, thank you. Uh, which mm-hmm. was awesome. We'll send you a set. We, did we send you a set? No. Right now we just have the knife and it's in my kitchen. We yeah. should really send but, them more stuff, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really great. And the thing, the reason we bought it was because we were so impressed with that exact notion of how you were building. Like the fact that this YouTube show that started in your apartment was building into a holistic brand. And I think that creators as the modern media company and creators as the modern, you know, just mega companies is one of the most interesting things to us. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what's really interesting is we were at BuzzFeed a few years ago and they brought us through their sort of like cooking vertical. And it was, you know, here's the set where we make the food and then right next to it, here's the products we sell. Mm-hmm. But that's BuzzFeed. That's a major media company. Yeah. And you are now this new generation of creator-first media company that actually knows what it's like to always be in the edit, always be in the ideas. Mm. The, the core of the company starts with someone who actually just wanted to express himself. I can't, appreci- I can't tell you how much I appreciate you saying that. That, that. I mean, and that's where it started with me and Sawyer, is people who, he in particular before me, saw the potential feature and the iteration of the company that it is now. He said it. And I was like, bullshit. <laughs> I yeah. was like, no way are we going to be able to ever do anything like that. And now we're, we're getting there. We're I think there. what it does, too, is it puts an interesting responsibility, actually, in a way, on you because you're redefining sort of what it means to be a media company who is led by a creator. So now you're bringing on creators who've even come from other media companies, but right. you have this empathy for maybe how they want to be treated, the type of deal that they want to have the way the relationship that they want to have between the culinary universe 
and, and who they are. And the decisions that we're choosing to make as we go into that are transparency first and foremost. If there's one thing that um, you know sucks more than anything is it's 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 underpaying undervaluing and lying to creators, which is what happens mm-hmm. when creators work for major media publishers and legacy brands sometimes. I'm not saying all of them, but sometimes that is what happens because that is the way things were. You go and be a photographer for, for X magazine until you're the chief of photography, you're not gonna make a dime, but until then you'll make 20 bucks a picture. That is how the world of content creation works until this moment that we find ourselves in now because right. we wanna be transparent with the creators that we bring on, we tell them, and, and as such, you know, I, I can say that we pay them a percentage instead of a flat fee. So their, their, their videos are earning what they earn. And if they, if, they, um, if they have integrations on it, they're paid a percentage of that too. Oh, wow. wow. So it is not, it is the, nobody, the, the people who are getting paid a salary are the people who are behind the camera. And the people who are in front of the camera are getting paid a, little, a literal profit share of their work. That's super cool. That's very cool. Thank you. And that's that, super cool. That's how we want to lead this company, every aspect of the company, not just not just with a creator's perspective at heart. Yes, that's definitely there, but also, like you said, the empathy aspect. How do people want to be treated? I know it's a simplistic thing to say at this size of a company. I'm sure if we ever have 500 employees, it's going to be even more of a contrived thing to yeah. say, but mm-hmm. but uh, I we're, we're trying to see how we could do business in ways where we can do as much good as make money, which is a very That's rare a air to mm-hmm. breathe. Yeah, but it's a, it's a good mission. I'd, I apologize to interrupt. Yeah. We gotta change cards every night. Okay. And while they change the cards, we want to tell you about our newsletter called The Publish Press, which breaks down the business of creators every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. You can subscribe by clicking the link in the description or by going to thepublishpress.com. Also, just a heads up, our lav microphones cut out, so the audio will sound a little bit different the remainder of the interview. As creators ourselves, I don't think every creator wants to be the CEO of a company. I don't think every creator wants to take on the stress that it is to run a business. But a lot of creators want to create and be treated like their work is supporting the growth of the company. So is that a conscious decision just because you're a creator yourself to to share in the profit with the creators? 100%. Because that's what I got. Yeah. Like, I wasn't a CEO the day I, you know, quit my job. I was just a, a, a solo lone wolf creator. And I got to reap the benefits of my work directly. I got to, like, you know, people, the, my representation, my partners would take their respective pieces and yeah. everything left just went straight to me. And what what an empowering thing as a creator to profit directly and and trackably intrinsically with your work with how popular your work, your work is or, yeah. or how much people resonate with it and what an incredible thing we get to be able to do yeah. by giving other creators ownership of their work not i don't know if it's literal ownership uh, yeah. but, but like the ip but they get a percentage of what the video profits between AdSense and integrations, and that gives them a literal feeling of ownership of what they're doing, yeah. mm-hmm. I think, I hope. Yeah, yeah. You, you've been very open about uh, mental health, and, I, and you know, I think as it pertains to being a creator and, and creative, and I think just also as it pertains to being a human. Mm-hmm. Um, but to continue doing this career is um, incredibly challenging. It becomes more people, more responsibility, more businesses, um, 
it's it's kind of tough to be off as Andrew Ray, right? It's tough because you're involved in so much of this. I'm involved in so much of it. And the big problem that I had was that my ego and my sense of self-worth got totally tangled up mm. in the channel because I'm putting myself on display and that's what we're doing as content creators. You guys are being yourselves in your yeah. videos. So you're putting yourselves on display. And when people, when people criticize it, it's very easy to take it to heart. When views drop, as I don't know if they did for you guys, but creator-wide, over the past six months, there's been just a dip for a lot of channels, especially food mm -hmm. channels. Um, it can be really discouraging, even if you're just a creator working on that channel. It can be devastating if your ego is wraps up, if your sense of self-worth, if what makes you get out of the bed in the morning and want to try and want to do more is determined by how a needle is moving online, how, how many people are watching, if they like it, what they're saying. Like, I can't... It was so nice on my subreddit. It was so lovely, but I can't tell you how strange it is to have a a thread started positing about your mental health. Just saying, like, is Andrew all right? Mm -hmm. It was done out of concern, and I love it, and I appreciate whoever posted that. But also, I can't tell you what kind of phenomenon it is when they know that, like, this isn't just a show. This is you putting yourself out mm -hmm. there, and are they okay? And then everybody's theory on why mm -hmm. the content has felt different recently. Oh, and that's what happened, you know, six months ago. And a, a lot of things happen, a lot of things that sort of, you know, small things like that, behind, behind the curtain things that just really dealt some blows. And I spun out. I was, you know, I was still making two episodes a week. Every episode had a sponsor. Sponsors need, you know, a week lead time, two weeks lead time, month lead time, depending on, you know, who the sponsor is. So everything had to be getting done ahead of time, more work than usual. And then what do you, what do you, what do you end up doing? You're living your dream life and you're hating it. Mm. And that's where I was at. I wasn't hating my life, but what I was was miserable. I couldn't yeah. make content. I couldn't do it. I, I was so, I mean, I could, yeah. <laughs> but like I was dragging myself through it and people right. saw that. And that's why they posted that, that right. thread. Is Andrew okay? Because they could, they could smell, they could taste the difference in what I was doing. And it's because I had lost the joy for what I was doing because I was robotically churning out as much as I possibly could, which is why over the past, I haven't like announced it hard yet, but I'm, I've, I've, I've lowered my cadence, my release cadence to one episode a week. That's what it used to be. That's where I'm going to stay because that's what I can sustain while I'm working on building these new businesses. And in its place come these new voices, these new creators. Alvin, we're hoping, is going to have an episode a week. Yeah, mm -hmm. Kendall, we're hoping is going to have an episode awesome. a month to start, and then an episode a week once she, once once the team and she is feeling ready for it because it's still finding its footing. It's a new show. We don't. We're only just figuring it out exactly what it is yet. And uh, Rick, Rick wants to simplify his show Prevo, uh to to be a simpler, more cooking oriented show. I think I need to talk to him about it. But he wants to retool his show. It it too is evolving into what's going to make him happiest as a creator and what his audience is going to enjoy the most. Well, and all that is only possible by realizing that you need to say no. Sometimes you need to be able to say no to even opportunities that you thought you'd never have in a million years, because you need to come first. And oddly enough. Turning down money is is the self in a good way the yeah. uh, the selfish thing to do because you're like that's one less thing I need to do yeah I'd get more money in the bank 
but that's living like this is all going to go away tomorrow. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can't live like that. Yeah, you can't I live totally agree. thinking. I mean, mm -hmm. you need to know that all things are impermanent. Mm -hmm. but you can't live in fear of that impermanence. You can't live in fear that your, ch your channel is going to crash and burn tomorrow. You'll never sleep at night. <laughs> I wasn't. We've been yeah. saying that a lot lately. A lot. Yeah. Trying to have an abundance yeah. mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Because we spent so many years creating in fear that now we actually have a career. Mm -hmm. Why should we go back to creating in fear? Right, <laughs> that's right. a beautiful way to be able to look at you it, know? fellas. And I think a great place for us to uh, to wrap here. Well, thank um, you so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. And thank you thank for reviewing my Yes, yes, yes. You sold me a lot of nerds. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. I appreciate you having yeah. me. Thank you. Thank you.